Okay. Good morning, New City Church. Good to be with you here this morning. My name is uh, Andrew Vandenacker, one of the pastors at New City Church. Just good to be with you this morning and be able to uh, preach God's Word and teach God's Word with you. It's always an honor, always a privilege. I'd like to begin with this thought. The word sacrifice is a very interesting word in our culture. In baseball, we hear the phrase sacrifice fly. A batter sacrifices his place by uh, hitting a, a fly ball that will be caught in order that his teammate may advance to another base. We think of someone who will give up candy or um, coffee for Lent, or we think of someone who's sacrificing their time uh, to work and to serve in a rescue mission. If one is religious, we think of ritual sacrifices. We, we think in the Old Testament where animals were sacrificed in a tabernacle and in a temple. And if we are a Christian, we usually think of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul encourages believers to be a living sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice to God. The phrase living sacrifice almost sounds like um, an oxymoron. Living sacrifice, living sacrifice. Sacrifices in scripture imply death. And so what is Paul teaching here? What is he getting at? Please open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8 this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. God's word for us here this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For... By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." God's reading for us this morning. Let us open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for uh, the blessings of, of hearing your word, the blessings of worship. Thank you, Father, for, again, the opportunity to preach and teach your word. As we often say, uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that, that the Spirit of the living God will give us ears to hear what you would want us to hear this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we dive into this little phrase, living sacrifice, 
uh, a little bit about the context of Romans 12. Now, obviously, Romans 12 marks a new chapter, but there's also a new theme here, a new, a new uh, agenda here for Paul. Uh, it's a turning point. Uh, notice the words with me in verse 1, therefore and by the mercies of God. Therefore, what is it therefore? Well, interestingly enough, all of what Paul has been teaching in Romans 1 through 11 now becomes an application in chapter 12 all the way through chapter 16. On the basis of God's mercy, that he has justified sinners, that he's declared us not guilty in Christ and Christ alone, the fact that we have been filled with God's spirit and now we're adopted into his family, he's saying, because of all this, therefore, on the basis of God's mercy, now he's encouraging us to faithful living. Faithful living. Theological doctrine and statements of truth are now giving way to application, or as Pastor Ryan likes to say often, the indicative before the imperative. Now, there are imperatives in chapters 1 through 11. Uh, There are a few. However, most would say, on the whole, their journey now through Romans, now it takes a turn. And so here we are in Romans 12. What is a living sacrifice to God? It's the title of my message, A Living Sacrifice to God. What is a living sacrifice? Well, first of all, it's the offering up of our bodies. Verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The terminology here really goes back to the Old Testament, to this Old Testament sacrificial system, in where a, a, an acceptable animal, unblemished, will be offered to God. And now, interestingly enough, Paul is now saying, we who are redeemed on account of God's mercy and his goodness, we are to be a living sacrifice to God. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And here we have a powerful, powerful word picture. This idea of sacrifice and the idea of an altar as well. The the implication here is that there's intentionality in our part. There's something that we have to do. We, we offer up ourselves as a free will offering to God. Due to God's grace in our lives, we offer ourselves with gratitude to God. But there's something more here, this little phrase. There's this idea of a complete surrender of all of who we are to God. A complete surrender. I offer myself. I offer myself, all of me, think again of an altar, think of, a, of being vulnerable. I offer myself completely to God. And I say to him, I'm yours. I'm yours. Uh, again, I offer my body to you, Lord, because of your mercies in my life. I am here and I'm praying, Lord, that everything I do and everything I say in all of my life that it will be a fragrant offering to you, an acceptable offering to you. I pray that my body, my complete being will be yours, that my heart 
and my motives will be pure, that my words will edify and be encouragement to others, that my feet will be swift to serve, and that my hands will embrace and help those in need. Again, that my whole body will be holy to you, set apart for your honor and glory, for your pleasure. And then Paul says this, and this is what we were made for. The end of verse 2, of verse 1, remarkable. And this is your spiritual worship. As some other translations have it, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's very reasonable, Paul is saying. It's logical. Again, when we see what God has done for us, when we see that he has declared us not guilty, redeemed us from being hellbound, filled us with the Spirit, incorporated us, adopted us as children into his family, well, of course, Paul is saying, we worship, we give thanks. The sane and rational thing to do once we've experienced God's mercies is to worship him in all of life, not just Sunday mornings, but 24-7. So in the light of God's mercy, here's the question now. In the light of his mercy, uh, do you see yourself as a living, a living sacrifice before God or to God? Is your tongue and your eyes and your ears and your feet and your hands and your heart, your whole body, is it totally offered to him? Do you see yourself totally surrendered, vulnerable before God to say, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours for your service. In Christ, in Christ, we're not autonomous. We've been set free from sin, but we're not free just to to live as we please. I'm redeemed. We're redeemed to serve. And if we're still holding back, we're still holding back part of something from God. Do we really understand grace? Do we really understand biblical grace? Is there an area in our life that we're still holding back from God? Uh, Our wallet, our purse, our roaming eyes, um, our pride, our laziness, our fears, our lust for power. Now, please understand, you're not alone. There's only one perfect man in life, and they crucified him. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so this idea of a complete surrender, it's, it's daily surrender and re-surrender to God. Now, when we come to Christ, when we sense God's touching our lives and we initially come to him, uh, we surrender to him. We ask him to be the center of our lives. However, this idea of surrendering here, this idea of offering up ourselves to God, needs to take place on a daily basis, no matter where your altar may be. Maybe it's your closet, your bedroom next to your bed. It could be in the worship center, maybe the living room with your city group. It could be out in the woods next to a tree. Wherever, wherever that may be, 
God is asking us to surrender and continue to surrender to him. And so again, have you offered yourselves, yourself to God in complete surrender? Now, God is for you. I'd like to encourage you to do this, to offer yourself to God. If God is for you, he, he, he's not against you. Uh, he, confess your sins and your fears to him. Lay them at the foot of the cross. Jesus saves. He made atonement for sin. He broke the bondage of sin. True life is found in him. Run to him. Go to him. Trust him. His mercies are new every morning. And so Paul is saying that we are to offer ourselves completely, being very vulnerable. Here I am, Lord, all of me for you. Living sacrifice. It also means, secondly, the renewing of our minds. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind. Now the word transformed is interesting here. It's an interesting word. The Greek word here is metamorpho. Our English word metamorphosis is derived from this Greek word. The word means change or alteration. A change of form takes place. We think and we can think of the caterpillar transforming into a beautiful butterfly. In 1990s, there was a TV program. It was called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And uh, kids in that show would morph, would morph. And when there was a need, very interestingly, when there was a need, they would morph into martial arts heroes and do justice. Morph, and their cry would be, it's morphing time, and they'd morph. Interesting enough, the Apostle Paul is saying to believers in Christ, when it comes to our thinking, it's time to morph. Our thinking needs to change over time, to morph. I'm not making this up. This is exactly the words, the terminology in chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, morph, be morphed, by the renewing of your minds. The word mind here, in some ways, these words echo back to chapter um, 8, verses 5 through, through 8. I'd like to read them at this time. Romans 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful men is hostile to God. It cannot please God. It It is not able to please God. The sinful mind is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Our minds need the change too. Now, at conversion, not only were our hearts changed, but our minds too. We, we are whole people. We are whole beings. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, our minds are now controlled by the Spirit, the Spirit of life and the Spirit of peace. And now that the Holy Spirit lives within us, 
our minds are able to change and can be changed and continually change. Our thinking can change. In some ways, it's morphing time all the time, all the time. It's really not an option for us. The Apostle Paul here gives us a warning. Do not be conformed to this world. Our minds are not neutral. They're easily influenced. And so the question is, who or what is influencing us? Hopefully, we're not filling our minds by what we see and read on Facebook or People Magazine or Fox News or the New York Times. I mean, the world, the world as Paul sees it here in this letter, the attitude, the mindset of the world is antagonistic excuse me, to God. He's made that clear in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And so the world, the world's mind, attitude, mindset... We see that today in power plays. We see it in manipulations. We see it in greed and entitlements. We see it in grandiosity and hedonism and narcissism. We see it in the idols of entertainment and the idols of image. And then this one, and it's very subtle, the continual, the continual lure to be self-made men and women without God. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul says, think. Think. Have the mindset. Think. Focus with intentionality. Think about such things. Now the question is then, how do we continually renew our minds as a process? Well, the Holy Spirit and God's Word um, are central here. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in the process of renewing our whole being and our minds included. And the Bible here is essential as well. We need to live under its influence. We, we need to take it in daily. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Oh, there's hope for me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who delights in God's law, the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then also Philippians 2, verse 5, we read, Have this mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what mind is that? What mind? The mind of Christ. Well, it's the mindset, it's the attitude of service. Jesus, verse 2, Philippians 2, verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Renewed minds in Christ think differently. They think the best in their brothers and sisters in Christ. They think the best. Whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, they think the best about brothers and sisters in Christ. They think 
about serving others, having the mind of Christ. There's no power plays here. There's no, there's no grandiosity, no entitlements. They stick their rights in their back pocket, and then they just get lost in serving others for Christ. The mind of Christ, having the mind, a renewed mind. And notice the outcome of having this transformed mind thinking. Paul says at the end of verse 2, that one may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's, this is important. The more we focus on the mind of Christ, the more we take in God's word, the more we stay in step with the spirit, the more in tune we'll be over time, trial and error, the more in tune we'll be to God's heart and will for ministry, character, and service. Being a living sacrifice to God includes the renewing of our minds, but also, three, evaluating ourselves very honestly. Verse three, we read, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How interesting it is that renewed thinking, transformed thinking, includes a proper assessment of oneself. In Christ, I have a new identity. I am now a a child, his child. Therefore, I am secure in him. As I stated earlier, there's no need now for power plays or grandiosity or entitlement. I don't have to think too high of myself. I need to see myself as God sees me. And at the same time, I don't need to debase or degrade or shame myself. I am not a worm. Paul tells us to think sober judgments, he says here. This means to have a clear mind and to be clear-headed. He's saying that we're supposed to have a need to have a proper perspective ourselves. Back to Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and he enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so maintaining the balance is important, not to have too high of ourselves, but not to have a, too, a, a view of being too low of ourselves. We need to be creative in our work and our ministry in the arts. We need to use our gifts. We need to work hard and, and with excellence, but always realizing that everything we have has been given to us by God, by the mercies of God. We are who we are. We must never, never forget that. Interesting how Paul uh, says this in Philippians 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. We read that and we go, Paul, it almost sounds a bit, you know, arrogant on your part. However, if we read Paul in all his letters, we realize what he's saying is, I can do all things by the gifts that God has given me, the abilities that God has given me, by the, the power of the Holy Spirit in and through me, I am able to do ministry. I'm able to do ministry for him 
and for his glory and honor, always remembering that what I am doing, God is leading and guiding and empowering me to do. Again, the balance is important. So in summary, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, hey, work hard. Work hard for the Lord. He's saying achieve much for kingdom advancement. He's saying do all in life with excellence. God has given you gifts for you to excel. But always remember, have a proper assessment of yourself, a proper view of yourself. He, he uses the word Paul says measure here. Take good inventory of yourself, of your faith in Christ. It's crucial. It's the Spirit's power working in you and through you to fulfill His word, His will. Remember, always remember who you are. God is God and you are not. So being a, a living sacrifice to God includes an honest view of ourselves, but fourthly, it also includes util, utilizing our gifts. And we see this in verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads uh, with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Transformed and renewed thinking also includes a proper view of the body of Christ and how that body functions together as the body of Christ, how it functions together in unity. Paul uses the analogy here of the human body to help us understand the church. One's identity in Christ includes my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's not an option. Body life, community life, is not an option. Now the words in verse 5 are very important. Nine words, I encourage you to memorize them. It reads here these words, So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Profound theology here. Profound. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Notice the words in Christ. As believers in Christ, the crucified and risen Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, lives within us. He is the source of life. The Spirit flows in and through us. We are alive in Christ. He's the fountainhead. Without his presence, we are lifeless. And then notice the words, one body in Christ. The word one is weighty. The word one is weighty. As individual Christians, we may land in different gatherings and groupings here and there, but we all belong to the one body of Christ, church with a capital C. I really uh, enjoy what the Nicene Creed states here. It was written 350 to 450 A.D., and in these words, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic, the word there means universal. 
This was written before there were denominations. And the church is saying that we believe, capital C, in the one holy Catholic apostolic church. And we're part of that church. And so we may, we may have some differences, churches with a lowercase c. But we need to be very careful how we speak to one another We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Just a a very good reminder. How dare we malign or slander our brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, again, we might disagree on some points of theology, on, on expressions of worship. But again, we need to be careful how we state the differences. I think it's important we remember Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is that brothers dwell in unity. Unity is God's heart. We think of Jesus and his words in the high priestly prayer, John 17. He says this to Father God, The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Remarkable when we think of the Trinity, we think of God the Father and God the Son. Think of the unity within the Trinity. And Jesus is saying to Father God in a prayer, may they, his disciples, his followers, may they be one even as we are one. Profound. Nevertheless, Paul states that within this unity, there's diversity. Just as members in the human body do not all have the same function, he says, so believers in the body of Christ do not all have the same function or the same gifts. We read this in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Interesting here, Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, found here, for, here 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and Ephesians 4 as well. Now, in this phrase, verse 6, we have the words gifts and grace. The words gift and grace, excuse me, grace in Greek is charis. The word gifts in Greek is charismata. Interesting. Spiritual gifts are grace gifts, special abilities given to us graciously by God for the common good, for the common good, which build up the body of Christ and which also expand, reach out and advance the church and kingdom of God. And so a few thoughts here in spiritual God and spiritual gifts, excuse me. If you are a believer, you are charismatic. God, the Holy Spirit, has given you a gift, an ability uh, to use in his church and his kingdom. If you're a believer in Christ, your gift may be completely different than other believers in the body of Christ. As the eye is different than the hand in the human body, so is singing from teaching in the body of Christ. But there can be unity. And they can function well together. If you're a believer in Christ, there's no reason to boast about your giftedness. They've been given to you, as Paul says in verse 6. They've been given to you by God, the Holy Spirit. Now, we may hone them in and we may perfect them, but they are given to us by him. No, No room for boasting. 
If you're a believer in Christ, you have no need to pout or to play the comparison game. The sovereign Lord determines the gifts that he gives, your giftedness, my giftedness. We can rejoice in the gifts and the abilities that God has given us, and we can rejoice in the gifts that he's given to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you're to use your gifts, not to bury them, but to use them. God has redeemed you to serve him and others. Be open to serve him with the abilities and the talents and the gifts that he's given to you. Be open to the promptings of the Spirit. God will confirm, and often others within the church family will confirm your giftedness and your blessings to the body. And then this one, this is very important. If you're a believer in Christ, you're not off the hook on some areas of ministry and discipleship. I might not have the gift of mercy, but that does not, that does not mean I should not be merciful. I might not have the gift of encouragement, but that does not mean I cannot encourage and should not encourage. I might not have the gift of financial giving, but that does not mean that I should not give according to how God has blessed me. No, there are individuals gifted in these areas that have a God-given ability. It seems like an extra measure of grace to do, to function well in those areas. And they shine. They're a blessing to all of us. Nevertheless, we all need to be faithful to the clear, clear uh, words of Scripture. Paul stated seven charismata in verses 6 through 8. Prophecy, which we can also understand as preaching with integrity. I believe that's what that statement means. Service, teaching, exhorting, financial giving, leadership, mercy. The list is not exclusive. And there, there are other lists that we find in Scripture as well. But being a, a living sacrifice to God, being totally open to the Lord, surrendering completely to him, being vulnerable, means that we will discover and use our gifts for him. Due to his mercies in my life, I will say, here I am, Lord, use me. And it's very, very reasonable and logical. I serve him with all my heart due to what he has done for me. Do you know your giftedness? Do you know how you are wired, how God the Holy Spirit has wired you? Are you aware that you can use your gifts of grace in church ministry, in kingdom ministries, ministries that even take place outside the four walls of the church? And more to the point, if you are not serving God with the gifts that he has given you within the walls of the church, within the workplace, your vocation, within, you know, kingdom ministries here in this country and around the world, you are selling yourself short. Selling yourself short. You're not aware of the blessings and the joy of serving him and serving others. You're losing out on the joy. For in Christ, being lost in service, being lost in service for others is the greatest joy and privilege and fulfillment 
that come our that can come our ways way. So if you would like to know more about serving in New City Church, please do check out our website. There's information there. Or you can connect with me and we can chat more about, uh, about spiritual gifts and the opportunity to serve with joy in church and kingdom for you and what that might look like. I really do believe it starts with a simple prayer. It starts with, Lord, use me. Use me. If you honestly, honestly in your prayer life will say, Lord, use me for your church and your kingdom, God will lead and guide you. He's wired you in a certain way to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He will lead you and guide you into the place where you find most fulfillment and joy in serving and being a blessing to others. He will do this. He will. And so in closing, being a living a sacrifice to God includes, involves offering our bodies to him, renewing our minds. It also includes having a, a proper perspective of ourselves, assessment of ourselves, and also using our gifts in and through the church. New City Church, New City Church, may our sacrificial living for Christ be a sweet fragrance, a free, a sweet aroma to Abba Father. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you again for your word. We're, we're just always, we always marvel at the insight and in your spirit leading Paul to write what he wrote. We just thank you, Father, for how this scripture passage, uh, how, how encouraging and edifying it truly is. And dear Father, again, we just pray that we will, even today, even now, that we'll just be a living sacrifice to you. We offer ourselves up to you, Lord, on the altar. Here we are. Here I am. I'm yours. You have redeemed me by your mercy. I am yours for your will and for your pleasure. And Lord, please use me. I pray, Lord, we pray often, Father, that, that we will think your thoughts after you, that we will have renewed minds that will become more Christ-like. Again, Father God, through your Spirit, help us to think your thoughts after you, and then give us the courage and the faith to step out in faith, to do, to keep in step with your Spirit, to do your will. Oh, Father, help us, too, to find out how how you have wired us. And so, Lord, help us to know how we can serve and and how we can experience the joy of serving others for you and in your name. We thank you, Heavenly Father, again, that we can be a living sacrifice to you. In your name we pray. Amen.